0: Hi there, we really hope you enjoy this teaching from the Message Trust. To find out more about all the exciting things we're doing, check out our website, message.org.uk. All right, afternoon, everybody. It's great to see you. Uh, Glad you've come along to this session um, because, to be honest, it's such important stuff I'm going to share with you. And uh, I'm probably not going to speak for an hour, so I'm guessing I'll give you opportunity uh, towards the end of the session to interact and ask any questions, and it can be about um, what I've shared about, or it can be about anything, about the message, about what were, anything you've heard in the last whirlwind we'll 24 hours, because have had quite a time, haven't we, so far? And even, the, yeah, so I'm really encouraged. Let's, um, let's just pray. Thank you, Jesus, that you're with us. Thank you that you can give us strength to keep going, even when others would quit. You can empower us and envision us and, and give us a, a, something worth living for that no one else can. Thank you that you've done that. And I pray, God, that you'll encourage my brothers and sisters in this time together. In these next moments, by your Spirit, you'll spur us on and speak to us and help us to put good things in place that will help us to go the distance for you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. So... The classic passage in Luke chapter 8, perhaps Jesus' most famous parable, the parable of the sower, and um, in the parable of the sower, it ends up by saying this, Jesus, when he's explaining it, he said, there is a hundredfold harvest, and the hundredfold harvest comes to the person who does two things, A, has a good and a noble heart, and B, keeps going to the end. If you can do those two things, you will produce a hundredfold harvest. Anybody like the sound of it? You know, in Jesus' day, of course, he lived in an agricultural society. uh, And in the autumn, they they would sow into the ground. And then in the spring, they would pull out the harvest. And if they could produce seven to ten times what they sowed into the ground at harvest time, that was like party time it was revival time it was not only enough for them and their family to be blessed everybody around would be blessed the the whole village the whole town would be blessed actually they'd have more than enough to bless other villages if they could pull out of the ground seven to ten times what they sowed in jesus said if you've got a good and a noble heart and you keep going to the end you'll produce how much hundred times what was sown. I mean, a supernatural, over-the-top, crazy harvest where millions of people are blessed. Do you like the sound of it? Do you want it if it's there? Do you want it for your communities, this society? Do you want it for the poor and the lost and the broken? Of course we do. But Jesus says it's there. It's there not for the smartest, sexiest, most resourced person. It's there for the person who's got a good heart and keeps going to the end however the sting in the tail because I said in that parable everyone's in there you're in there and I'm in there most Christians aren't the good soil that produces the hundredfold harvest most Christians in my opinion are the seed that fell among thorns and the cares and the worries and the riches of this life choke the seed and it never truly matures Never produces that bumper harvest. What a, a tragic statement to make, don't you think? But as we look at our hearts and as I allow the Holy Spirit to examine me, I know so often that's me. The cares, the worries, the riches of this life choke what God wants to do. But how about if by being at a, a conference at this warehouse, something could spark in our heart? Where suddenly it's not all about me. It's all about him and it's all about them as a result of getting his heart. What if I got God's heart? Truly got God's heart, but not just got God's heart. Persevered with generosity and compassion. And I I became an overcomer. Who, you know, when I'm 82 year old bloke, I'm still running on stage. (laughs) Preaching the gospel with boldness. Or whatever it looks like for me to have gone the distance. What about if I'm welcomed into heaven, and when I get there, my chin hits the floor. And I'm like, how the heck did that happen? And in fact, all great exploits in this life are are through people who just keep going, who relentlessly keep going. And after 25 years, you look back and you think, how the heck did that happen Through a joker like me. And God sees your heart and God sees you're willing to keep going. And and hey, we're not the biggest ministry in town, but I am like God, you've done more than I could have asked or imagined. You know, when me and my brother left Harrogate Fashion Fair in 1988, and nobody knew as I was a a youth leader in a local church and a, a businessman. But we had an idea, we had a dream. And I believe it was a good-hearted dream. We'd employed lots of young men in our business who were completely out of control. The, the, we, we had a massive surge in turnover, and the job centre discovered there was a, a business in Longsight that would employ literally anybody. We were so desperate, you know, braces had come into fashion. Lady Diana had worn a pair of our braces, that's our theory. And we had orders on for millions, and we went to the job centre, and we said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. No, no we didn't. We're not that cheesy Christians. But... Uh, we said, you know, we need some people to make some braces. We borrowed a load of money, bought loads of brace machinery, and over a short period of time, took on dozens and dozens of young men. And they discovered, here's a business in Longsight that will actually take people straight out of prison. that are desperate. They will employ young men who've never had a job before. So we gave all these lads jobs, and it was carnage. It was violence and vandalism. I remember this massive guy who looked like Frank Bruno, smacking our foreman in the face... Because he'd been taxed on his salary, (laughs) he went. (laughs) He went. You, you says I was on hundred quid a week and yous have only paid me eighty quid. (laughs) Smack. And poor Howard, was like, it's coal tax and national insurance, Colin. And as he walked out, he says, if I ever see you in Manchester, you're dead, mate. So for about the next two years, I was hiding in doorways because I saw this six foot seven guy walking down Market Street. And I knew he'd kill me because I'd, I'd applied tax and national insurance on his salary. And we had some real adventures and we had hideous graffiti over our factory. And then the break-in started and uh, we had a season where myself and my brother would get called out with break-ins at least three nights a week. And I'd drive into work down Stockport Road, and, and we also used to embroider these cool jackets that were in fashion at that time. Um, and, uh, and I'd be driving down Stockport Road, and I'd be like, there's one of our jackets. There's another one of our jackets. There's another one of our, jackets. One of our flipping jackets, I'll kill him! <laughs> uh, and I knew we hadn't, you know, they hadn't bought them from the local retailers. They'd passed them through our skylight the night before. And it was a really difficult period, but at Harrogate Fashion Fair, God actually did a little number on me and my brother. And uh, we're like, hey, you know these young men? Yes, their lives are out of control. But maybe it's because nobody's telling them the word of God. You know, David in the Psalms said, how does a young man keep his way pure? And he answered his own question, didn't he? He said, by living according to your word. And certainly nobody was telling these young men the word of the Lord. And, and we said, you know what? Let's organize Manchester's biggest ever youth mission. That's how daft we were. Let's book the Apollo Theater for a week. Let's get every church engaged. We'll, and we'll have hundreds of local missions. And then a week at this venue, thousands of kids are going to come to Christ. And you know what? When ordinary people hear the Lord and get on with it like that, I believe heaven, heaven laughs to start with. But a cheeky laugh. And then the Lord gets behind them because it says in 2 Chronicles 16 verse 9, the eyes of the Lord is arranging the earth looking for a heart not looking for the most talented, just looking for a big heart. And God gave us a heart in 1987 for these lads we're employing and for the community of Longsight, where it seemed there were was so little, so few churches that could engage with these kids. And we wrote to every church, we booked the Apollo and the message Trust as he started, then 30 years ago, not 25 years ago. And amazingly... You know, there were 300 local missions in the build-up. It did become the biggest youth mission Manchester's ever seen. And by the last night, they were queuing up to get in the Apollo at half-past two, all these wild animals, and God had given us that scripture that is still over the message. Rivers in the desert, streams in the wasteland, the wild animals will honour me. Those I've formed to declare my praise. And so we got on with it, and then uh, we did it again in 89. Then we formed this funny band, the Worldwide Message Tribe, and again you know, absolutely did not know what we were doing. Mark Pennells, who was my kind of wingman, was, was a bit more talented than me, certainly musical, but I had no musical talent. Anybody who's heard the Worldwide Message Tribe won't argue with me there. Anybody who saw us perform, they used to call me the heavy foot because I just used to stomp around on stage and do this funny demonized Sesame Street rapping. <laughs> but God liked it and God supported it. And so we kept going and then we did, and then we left, I left the business and set up the charity, downscaled my lifestyle and uh, one man band out of my mate's spare bedroom. And how kind has God been? But there have been times when, like Carl this morning, and wasn't that a spectacular talk? Uh, There's been times when I I, I wanted to give up. There's been times when the, the financial pressure has been almost intolerable. You know, month after month, you've got this word from the Lord, you're going to see rivers in the desert, streams in the wasteland. You're going to see not not a small thing, but a big thing. And so you keep stepping out in faith year on year, taking on more programs, taking on more staff. And, you know, it's okay if it's me and Michelle's mortgage is not going to be paid. Suddenly we've got 20, 30, 50, 100 staff going on and Beautiful people who have sacrificed so much and downscaled their lifestyles to join in. And honestly, there were times when the financial pressure was almost overwhelming. And I used to boast about the times when the money came in at the 11th hour, 59th minute. I remember one time that um, we, we, things were looking really bad and it got so bad that the trustees said to me, you're just going to have to cut back Andy. We can't carry on like this. We certainly can't start paying our bills late. That's not going to be honouring to God. So I had the hideous job of gathering all the managers to meet and talk about who we were going to lay off. I've got all these promises. I know the amount of kids that are getting saved and all the great stuff that's happening. And I gathered the managers. This would be maybe 15 years ago in our small meeting room. At our premises, and, and uh, they knew something was funny, going, funny was going on, but they didn't know what I was going to say. And I was going to go up to the meeting and say, look, guys, I'm so sorry, we've got to cut this much off the budget. Uh, I believe it's pruning for growth, but it's a tough time, and we need to talk about what that looks like. And I'm walking up the stairs with a heavy heart, and Anne, who was on reception then, said, there's a phone call for you, Andy. And uh, I said, oh, I'm sorry, I can't take it, Anne. And uh, you know, I've got this meeting and I really need to focus. She said, I think you might want to take this one, Andy. And it was a guy called John, a businessman who supported the ministry. And I went down, I said, Hello John, how are you doing? He said, I've heard you're a bit tight for cash, lad. And I said, uh, you're joking not you've just got the manager of the meeting talking about how we can cut back for the first time in the history of the mess. He said, he said, How much do you need? I said, Oh well, you know, just to even pay the bills and get on top, we need hundred thousand pounds. He said, I'll put it in your bank this afternoon, lad. Honestly. And so the meeting went from being like weeping and wailing to do a conga around the small meeting group. God does love us after all. <laughs> and yet, and I used to boast in stories. And I do, I still boast. That was the Lord. But we did have a season then when it wasn't 11th hour, 59th minute. It was 5 past 12 the money came in. You know, it was actually, we had a few months where we couldn't pay people on time. And we even had the worst time when we had this, we used to have this monthly youth event called Planet Life, where every month kids would get saved and great things would happen. And, and uh, you know, often have thousands gather every month. And we had to cancel it one month because we just couldn't pay the bills. We just couldn't justify spending that amount of money on this event. And that was one of the hardest times. So I've known that financial pressure. I've known birthing ministries... And everything comes against you. You know, Satan loves to kill things when they're kids. That's how he works. At the start of things. You know, i.e. Moses. Yeah. If he could just wipe out Moses. I.e. Jesus. You know that all the boys were killed, weren't they? Because Satan wants to kill things at the start. When all the potential can be, can't be can be fulfilled. And so I remember when we had our, launched our first Eden team. You know, we'd, we'd gone into Bench Hill, the most deprived ward in Britain, with the Worldwide Message Tribe. And, and we'd seen an amazing harvest. I, I remember, d- you know, when we used to do, have the band, I would preach at the end of every concert. And uh, one of three things would happen. Either, you know, we'd do a really slow number. And I tell you, last night, I'm like, I'm going to get those bands to write this really Power packed ballad that's all about Jesus and all about taking up your cross and all about repentance. And and we're gonna do an amazing video. I'm gonna insist it happens and it's gonna be amazing. And we're gonna do it after last night. I thought, you know, couldn't that have been so great? But we had that, uh, whatever 20 years ago, and um, it's called The Cross. And I used to mime, and Mark Pennell used to sing a bit, and there's an awful lot on the track. after all this rapping and everything. And, but, but we would have images of Jesus on the cross. And often, you know, the Holy Spirit would fall. And people would be really convicted. Occasionally, it was like the ballad at the end of the, you know, the night. When this is a chance to make a move on that girl you've always, always fancied. and So I'm preaching the glorious gospel while they're all playing tonsil tennis. <laughs> or, or, the atmosphere would, or the atmosphere would change. And so they start punching holes out of each other. And again, I'm trying to preach and there's two lads pasting each other. But in Benchil, it was the former, you know, the spirit fell, and it was amazing, and we invited kids to go to a response room, and 100 guys gave their life to Christ, and just roughest, toughest, the wild animals, the kind of blokes we'd been employing in our business, and, and um, we invited them to church on a Sunday, and they all came. There's 20 people in that church in Benchil, but that Sunday, there's 120, and Eden was born out of that, how does a tiny church like that with so few resources, how did he disciple this many young people and it was such a good heart and I went out to Soul Survivor and uh, preached across the Soul Survivor sites and called on workers to come and join us in Bench Hill, we needed a team of about a dozen, we got 300 and something volunteers, it was just a lot, I mean how I wish it was like that now. And we sifted through all these, all these people who volunteered to move into Ben Shearley just to move a god, and got the crack 25 who moved in and pulled the boarding up off the houses in the roughest estate in Britain to try and disciple these kids. But honestly, the bombardment that came against us... Uh, Mark, Mark my, it was me and Mark full time for the charity at that point and a bunch of other people, we were, we were leading the work, literally got kicked out of his church for a season because we'd partnered with a the church they didn't like. The bishop, who was a bishop, I won't tell you which one, but he was on our kind of core group, uh, pulled out and wrote this horrible letter. How can you partner with these unbiblical people who do this, that, and the other? And it was just hideous. And we were having prayer meetings in this house because we couldn't meet in the church we'd always met in and where our offices were. And we're like, all we're trying to do here is reach the lost and the poor and the broken and this bombardments coming against us. Even, you know, over the years, I I remember going out to um, Australia and I was, we were speaking at this conference. And there's a guy called Mick Duncan there who lives in the slums of Manila. An amazing guy. And he was speaking about all the trials he'd been through. And he's talking about, I've had mental health issues. I've had this. My family's had this, this, that, and the other. And he's living right on the cutting edge amongst the poor. And then he said to, to some of you won't have experienced any of these kind of trials. But some of us do. And I can't explain why. It's almost like some Christians live a charmed life. And I turned to Michelle and I said, you know what? In many ways, we live quite a charmed life, don't we? You know, we've got great health. We've got two kids who love Jesus. You know, we've, we've grown the ministry to this stage. And, and then we, and we left that seminar. That was the last thing we did. Got on a plane and we're coming back home via Bangkok Got to Bangkok and Michelle had the weirdest fall in Bangkok totally isolated totally on her own and she fell and smashed all her face in and had bleeding on the brain and was thrown in this this taxi because he said don't wait for an ambulance so we're going through the terrible traffic in Bangkok pulled up at this hospital and it was like scary dirty place and uh, the nurses are all freaking out because blood's coming out of Michelle's ear on the other side to where her face is all smashed in she had to have these metal plates put in and we stayed for for um over a week there in Bangkok before we were like flatbed flown back to Britain and I was thinking all the time about Mick Duncan and about the stupid thing I'd said (laughs) because sooner or later we will face trials that could take us out sooner or later we will here's the good news and you can say praise the Lord after this right now you're either in the midst of a trial you're coming out of a trial or you're about to enter a trial (laughs) anybody say praise the Lord (laughs) Because isn't that that it? This side of heaven, we do face trials. You know, you may not hear it on Christian telly, but in the Bible it says, in this life, you will face many trials. You know, you will this side of heaven. we, We can't get away from it. But there are people, and the Christian church is littered with them. People who give up under trial and under difficulty. And the people who keep going, and I read this tragic statistic this week Church leaders particularly are in danger of giving up. Vast majority, 70% of church leaders in a recent survey said they feel so stressed that they regularly feel like giving up. Way more than any profession. Way more than doctors, teachers, social workers, you name it. I mean, can I just say, there's a good reason to love on your church leader. Don't you think Part of the reason is they take the whole weight on themselves. Part of the reason is they think the gig revolves around them. Part of the reason is people are pains. (laughs) That's right, isn't it? You know, it is hard being a church leader. If you're a church leader here today, bless you. I went forward for, well, not Anglican ordination, but, you know, to look into it. And I realized in about five minutes I'd be the world's worst church leader. But I have utmost respect for you. And... uh, Only 23% of pastors in a recent service said they felt content on a regular basis. How sad does that make you feel? You know, it may not be your church, your church leader may be the exception to the rule, and they may be loving life and doing a great job, but Christians, it is easy. It is easy to get stressed out. So do you want my four top tips that will, if you honestly... If you could put these into, into practice, you will keep going to the end. Maybe you could even be somebody who, who produces a bumper harvest. Before I do that, anybody know who this is? Who's that? Now, Nicky Gumbel is a man who has produced a hundredfold harvest. I mean, Alpha is insane. There's like four million people in the UK done Alpha. And when you think about that, you think word and spirit in community, how totally awesome is that? The seed sowing that's been done through Alpha, but tens of millions around the world, you go to the most bizarre places on the planet and you see that funny little question mark outside a hut in Kazakhstan or something, you you know, how did that even happen? But you know what it is? It is. It's building into your life, and when you hear, when you hear you know, what I'm talking about, the four things I think we need to put into place, it's building into your life these things, and suddenly, if God pleases, your life can truly go into multiplication. Maybe through you, even a movement could be birthed, and Alpha is certainly a God movement, isn't it? Part of the reason is that the guy is, I think, where he could be, running Nicky Gumbel International Ministries couldn't he and just on his alpha book sales be flying around the world in a private jet and lots of Christians would go bring it on Nicky but he actually, he's decided to live on a, a vicar's wages and rides around Kensington on his sit up and beg bike hello Andy, super <laughs> I mean I do find it a little bit annoying that this world changing movement came down the poshest bit of Britain you know, don't you reckon I would have brought it out of a tougher state in Manchester wouldn't you but anyway, the Lord's the Lord and he does what he wants. And uh, So out of Kensington, all these posh people, part of the reason is they're geniuses. They are, you know, Nicky Gumbel pretends to be this, oh, I don't know what's going on, Andy, something's happening somewhere around the world, but he's a barrister, he's sharp as nails. <laughs> but uh, who's this guy? Billy Graham. Billy Graham had his 99th birthday this week. And um, Ten years ago, or something like that, he wrote a book called Nearly Home, didn't he? You know, like ten years, he's been waiting to be with Jesus. You know, he's been nearly home for the last ten years, and you know, and uh, but I tell you what, what a reception committee! You know, the first few million years are going to be taken up with bumping into people because he's just kept at it. And by my desk, I have two pictures. I have a picture of Van Gogh that Van, Gog- Van Gogh painted, called. Bible. have you seen that picture and it's a dusty old bible covered in dust that's, that's not been opened for years and it's a picture of a candle that's gone out because van gogh was an evangelist you know did you know that he was a preacher and an evangelist and a special heart for the poor but got burned by church and had a, a mental breakdown and then pretty much lost his faith so on in his years he writes a he paints a beautiful picture of a, a dusty bible that's unopened and a candle that's gone out. How sad that he knew that. But above it is a picture of this fella in his pomp. And it says, I will preach this gospel as long as God gives me breath. And even now, although he's bed-bound pretty much and he's going deaf and blind and he's got Parkinson's disease, even now he's still doing videos (laughs) that are being broadcast on the internet. And he's just an amazing legacy of a life. I think... It's because he put these four things in place. And I think there's some things we can learn. So, how to keep going when you feel like giving up. And I don't think they're that clever, actually. You won't be surprised because I'm speaking to you. (laughs) But actually, they are profound. First thing is, if you want to keep going, make personal prayer and personal Bible study a priority. My job description and the message, I haven't got one because I started it. I probably should have actually after this long, but it might box me in a bit. So I'll keep quiet about it. But if I had one, it would have two lines. Keep prayer and study hot. Keep mission hot. And in some ways, if I can do those two things, I've done my job as a leader. If I can keep in the word myself, keep prayed up myself, keep the movement there, and go after those who don't know Jesus and go after the last and the least and the lost jobs done but you will never see a Christian who's fallen away who has a hot prayer life who's determinedly praying you will never see a Christian who falls away who actually does, reads the Bible for themselves it's easy to be a leader who falls away and all you're doing every time you read the Bible is preparing a sermon and if you're any of you in this room are preachers how hard is it not to read a passage and come up with three points all beginning with the same letter and, but we need, we need to read the Bible for ourselves. The Bible is the living word of God. It's life. I need to build in time. And Christians who build in time for their relationship with Jesus, not just interceding for the lost, but in. Well, you know, when I became a Christian, I, and, and I still use this in my personal prayer time quite a bit, I was taught Acts. You know, the A C T S. Uh, a is for adoration. Come to the Lord first with adoration and worship. C is for confession. Come and confess your sins. You know, Allow the Holy Spirit to illuminate what's wrong in your life. T is for thanksgiving. You know, before you ask anything, thank God for all the benefits, for all you've got. And the S is for supplication. The funny thing is, if you get it in the right order, if you really get your eyes off yourself and on the Lord, and if you confess your sins, and if you thank Him for all you've got, your supplication is a whole lot different. Suddenly, your supplication isn't some little pity party all about me and my needs. Suddenly, your supplication is on a bigger scale. And suddenly, your supplication is towards others. My, um, I've mentioned this guy, Isaac Sally, twice at this conference. But uh, he's a, a black pastor who just prays like nobody I've ever known and and uh, Michelle my wife another little trial well felt like a big trial at the time about six weeks ago maybe two months ago she was diagnosed with melanoma so she had to have a significant operation on her arm and a lymph node removed to see if this cancer had spread it was all a bit scary and and uh, anyway praise the lord the reports came back a couple of weeks ago that it hasn't spread and you know, onwards and upwards, but it wasn't, you know, it was a difficult time, a a challenge to face, certainly. Isaac Sally, I told a few people, you know, I didn't want to do some big social media thing or whatever, but told a few, you know, personal confidants, and Isaac Sally was one. And then then we got the report, and I went off on my bike ride, and the day I came back from a bike ride, a couple of weeks after we'd got the good news, because I probably wouldn't have even gone if it had been bad news, um, Isaac Sally comes into the office, and he said, Andy, how's Michelle? And I said, oh, I said, yeah, there's good news. Praise the Lord. The cancer hasn't spread. And the guy starts weeping. And he's wiping away tears. And he went, I've been fasting. I've been fasting. I've been fasting. And I'm like, oh, mate, you're just operating on a different level to me. You're just, you're just amazing that you're even weeping over my wife. I wonder whether he was weeping because after two weeks of waiting, he could have a McDonald's. <laughs> but... Uh, no, that's a joke. <laughs> Actually, he was weeping because he's got God's heart for others. He's got a rhythm that's built around adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. If you want to go the distance, there's no substitute. And Word for Today is great. You know, I start every day with Michelle. We read words Today. We have a little, um, little praise together. But it's your hors d'oeuvre isn't it? It's, your, it's not even a starter. It's a canopy. It's tasty, but it's never going to feed you. It's never going to build you big and strong. You know, this, we need all kinds of, we need to dig in the word, don't we? To build in the word. And uh, my other little warning on prayer and Bible study, that I, I, I set the whole message up two years ago, you know, a, a challenge to do the Robert Murray McShane Bible reading plan. And we're all going to read through the Old Testament and the New Testament twice in a year. But you know what I found myself doing? Speed reading out of guilt. Have you ever done that with your Bible? You know, I'm going to read the Bible in this year. And suddenly you get a month behind and then you're really knackered. You know, you've got to read 10 chapters today and you're in two Chronicles or something. So what I decided, actually, I'm not bothered if it takes me two years. And it probably will have taken me two years. I've nearly, nearly finished it and it's taken me almost two years. But I'm reading the Bible Old Testament once, New Testament twice, but every chapter I'm meditating on a key verse and I'm, I'm writing that verse down and I'm not, I'm not kind of just gung-ho, got to get through this so I can, you know, not look a bit of an embarrassment with the message. I want to feed on the word. And, and uh, the Bible's delicious. There's a guy, a girl, who was in one of our mission teams and um, she went to a church, great church, but it was a little bit, you know, uh, Holy Spirit, airy-fairy, you know, take trampettes and velcro walls into the worship kind of church, you know. And, uh, Wee splat! You know? a, you've all been to that kind of church. It's great fun, but perhaps not perhaps not the depth of the word. And But she wrote to me. And, in fact, you can sniff churches, can't you, just to the side. Within two minutes of walking in, you can tell if they're word only and they're a little bit dry and boring, grinding the way miserably to heaven. You can tell if they're spirit only and they're having a right laugh, but there isn't any real, you know... Depth to to hold on to. You know, Holy Spirit is great, but we need spirit and word. Somebody said word only dry up, spirit only blow up, word and spirit grow up. And we need to read the word in the power of the Spirit. We need to invite the Holy Spirit to illumine his word to us, to lead us into all truth, because Jesus says that's what the Holy Spirit will do. and, And there is so much truth in there, isn't there, that we can build a life on. That's why it's such a precious thing to... Give young people, yeah, we give them the funky app and we try and connect them into into churches and we send them all the videos and all the resources. But what a precious thing to give them the word of God, don't you think? So here's the whole Bible. Here's the whole counsel of God. Some of it you may not like. Some of it you're going to find hard and confusing. It's not your book, it's his book. Build your life on this word and you'll flourish and you'll go the distance. So prayer and study, such an important thing if we're going to go the distance. The second thing is, friends, we talk a lot about being mates on a mission. We're not just on a mission at the message. We're we're mates on a mission. We're on on a mission together. We're not mates who sit around all the time like that around campfires, but that's okay to do. We're mates who go out on mission together. And the fascinating thing about... Alpha, which is probably the organisation in the last 30 years of church life that's made a bigger impact globally in terms of winning people, for Jesus and any other. And the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, which was the organisation in the previous 30 years that made the greatest impact in terms of global evangelism. Fascinating thing is, they're just mates on a mission. It's not Nicky Gumbel's ministry, it's actually Nicky, and Silla Lee, who came out of uni at the same time, and Ken Costa who went off to a bank and funded the whole thing. And, and it's this team of people and these lovely people who've downscaled life, downscaled the lifestyle from the city to pour the life into Alpha. And they've journeyed together. And I remember having a chat with Nicky Gumbel once. And uh, he, he, at this point, he'd been curate of Holy Trinity Brompton, you know, on a curate salary, which is, you know, but not, not very much, certainly. Not when you've got the profile and influence and responsibility of Nicky Gumbel. And he said to me, Andy, my greatest privilege in life has been to serve Sandy. And he went all misty-eyed, you know. And he asked, "He meant it. His greatest privilege in life has been to serve Sandy Miller. And this great vision. Because, you know, Holy Trinity Brompton and just all that's come out of that church. Quite extraordinary. Because basically they're mates on a mission. And inevitably, they will have uh, annoyed each other, and uh, had some disagreements. But they keep going as mates, and it's fascinating to look at the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. When Billy did his last big mission, you know, because he was getting elderly and infirm, and uh, thought he was nearly home, he did a massive uh, football stadium, you know, with uh, rock band's on before him. And but the guy who sung before him was ninety-nine years old. Anybody know what it's called? What was he called? George Beverly Shea. George Beverly Shea was this up-and-coming gospel singer who started out 60 years previous singing before Billy to settle his heart before he preached the gospel. And they just journeyed together. You know who led the worship at Billy Graham's last ever mission after all these rock bands? What was he called? He was a better preacher than Billy Graham. He was called Cliff Barrows. They journeyed together through every mission, these boys. Behind the scenes was 80-odd-year-old, the Wilson brothers, something like W.H. Wilson. These poor old blokes lifting the PA system. <laughs> <laughs> and they were, on, they were at Haringey. They were the very first, the tent missions with Youth for Christ, these boys. And they journeyed together. And they'd seen God do stuff. And they didn't care like him. Carl said. Who gets the glory? Because we're not the Billy Graham evangelistic association. At the end of the day, we're the Jesus evangelistic association, aren't we? And we'll play our part and we're mates on a mission. So who are your friends? It's great to have non-Christian friends. We must have those. You, You must be deliberately doing everything you can to be a friend for those who don't know Jesus. And, of course, the greatest kindness you can offer somebody is to share the love of Jesus with them. And that should be your heart. But it's also super important to know who your mates on a mission are. Because if you're isolated, if you, which is, again, what so many leaders do, they isolate themselves and it all comes through them and they end up getting burnt out and disappointed and end up sacking it off. So who are your mates? Who are your mates you're on a mission with? If you haven't got any, find some. You don't feel like, who are those people, kindred spirit, who sharpen me? One of the lovely things, and it is a lovely thing about advance. You know, we've got this advanced network of evangelists that we're, we're looking to, well, we've got 300 of them already, but we're looking to see many, many more in it, advanced groups, is the level of accountability. Once you start journeying with people and you realize, actually, this is a safe space to share some pretty heavy baggage, And to be open and vulnerable and pray with a group of people who think the best of you. Have you got anyone like that? Anyone who can see you at your worst but still loves you? Someone who is a mate but a mate on a mission. Absolutely critical, I think, if you go in the distance. And as you journey mates, more mates come along, you know, it's been amazing the last two years to have a mate on a mission called Carl Beach and they're... It is absolutely frightening how similarly we're wired. It's it, we even like exactly the same beer. Apart from he paints pastel paintings and classical, classical piano. We even wear the same shirt. She may have noticed that, yeah? Uh, we, in fact, the most, I'll say this. The most embarrassing day at the message was when I came in exactly the same shir- shirt as my PA, Danielle. <laughs> it was the worst day of her life. And it was a red check shirt. But anyway... The, but, uh, but yeah, to have somebody come alongside. But you know what happens? The reason Carl's my mate is because like attracts like. And if you're passionate for the poor and passionate for the lost and passionate for Jesus and you, you don't take yourself too seriously and you're okay taking the mickey out of people and them taking the mickey out of you, you attract people like that. You attract mates who are, who are on a mission, who are, are for you though when things really do go pear-shaped. The second thing, the third thing, if we're going to go the distance, is get a vision bigger than yourself. Is there a vision for your life that's bigger than you could ever achieve? I can't tell you what a, a joy it is to stand at the back of a room full of whatever it was, 1,500 teenagers or however many people in that room last night, and, and look at all these people doing all this amazing creative stuff, and, and, uh, and I've had nothing to do with it. And isn't everybody glad? (laughs) But, you know, I've got a vision way bigger. I can never do that. There's so many things happening around the world now that I could never achieve. What a thing to have 623 Eden workers moved into these deprived communities and have all this stuff kicking off globally. You know, when you start, and, and ministry does tend to start with a man or a woman. It starts with an individual who gets God's heart. And in this case, perhaps it was two blokes, you know, the Hawthorne brothers. Uh, but then soon the man becomes a mission. God blesses it. Thing grows, God sees the heart. And then if things are going really well, the mission can become a movement. That's when things really get exciting. And I feel like we're on the cusp of that at the message. I feel like the mission could potentially become a movement where we're exploding all over the place and it really is out of control there's a little sniff of that around the world at the moment perhaps you've sniffed it even these last 24 hours just movements happening wow if you knew the if you knew the movements that people I know like George Verver have led 3,000 ministries born out of Operation Mobilization the ministries that people like Bill Bright you know who he is you should do. He's probably the most significant Christian in the last last 50 years. Campus Crusade for Christ. You know, more missionaries around the world than any other movement or church or denomination. And just got on with it. Movement took place. Anybody heard of a guy called um, Lawrence Cunningham? No. Well, he, Lauren Cunningham. He heads up YWAM. Again, bloke, became a mission And then suddenly Y1 became a movement. It happened with the Salvation Army. But hey, movements can easily become monuments and then mausoleums. They can die and they keep going, but they've lost that spark, that energy, that fire. And it often happens when the guys at the top lose the plot. Stop being risky. Stop being dangerous. Start administrating things. We don't want that. We want a vision bigger than ourselves. You got a vision bigger than yourself? What is it that God's put on your heart? Almost certainly. Because God had good works planned in advance for you to do. That's what it says in the Bible. God had a good and a pleasing and a perfect plan for your life. He'll have put stuff on your heart. What is it that actually makes you weep? I was flying out to South Africa with Michelle and and, she is sat in the seat next to me and I'm watching some stupid superhero movie and uh, she's next to me on the seat and she's sobbing. I mean proper like weeping and I, I'm thinking oh. yeah. and I said are you alright Michelle and she just pulled the blanket over her, over her head and she's going oh, 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 in the seat I'm like uh. so I can't kind of say, pulled it back are you okay darling <laughs> what have I done now and, <laughs> and uh, she said is that a film that a film and um, she's just watched a film called Suffragette have you seen that film about, you know, votes for women and Emily Pankhurst and all that. And, and uh, so I said, whoa, I better watch this film. So I put the film and I'm like, yeah, quite good. You know, <laughs> six out of ten. <laughs> Let's get Superman back on, to be honest. <laughs> but that's because what God's put on Michelle's heart is hurting women. Injustice against women, violence against women. Absolutely is the vision Michelle's got that's bigger than herself. It's her passionate heart. She loves what I'm doing and loves the message, but actually what really gets her out of bed and makes her stay up late and makes her pray with tears. is injustice against women. What is that? What is that thing that you've got? That vision bigger than yourself. And when we were out in South Africa, we had this, I told you this morning about that amazing prophetic word about, about war horses. You know what I said about that? This guy, Ron, said that it's going to be like charging as a warhorse. The same time, so this is shortly after Michelle's had this terrible accident in Bangkok. And he said to Michelle, Satan's had a death plan for your life, hasn't he? This is a complete stranger. I'm like, whoa. And he said, and oh, by the way, the Lord loves your paintings. I'm like, what the heck is this guy operating on? And then he said all this stuff. But then he said, and God's seen your heart for hurting women. God sees that you have a heart for her and he's going to gather people around that vision. Gather other women around you and you're going to make a mark in this generation. You're going to bless hurting women. You're going to be involved in all this beautiful ministry. How good is that? Because that's what happens when we get a vision bigger than ourselves. Other people gather around it. That's how it works. And suddenly, because we're not on our own, isolated, trying to do it all ourselves, suddenly we've got other people who can share the load. Suddenly we've got other people we can journey with. And if we're weak somebody else can be strong if we're struggling they can cheer us on and we're people and again you know get that vision is there a vision for your life i'll give you one if you like it's called the message trust we need a whole lot more people who this is the vision of the passion of their life and i love that i love there's so many people who who my vision is just joined to this vision and maybe uh maybe i'm not gonna have my name you know, on the publicity at the conferences, but I'm just as far in as Andy Hawthorne and Carl Beach. And maybe on the final day, Andy Hawthorne and Carl Beach got the glory because they stood at front of the conference and everyone said, "Oh, what an amazing ministry you've got, Andy!" Oh, oh I get in, introduced as "Here's the man of God, Andy Hawthorne." As part of me, like, oh, yeah. But you were just serving on an Eden team. You're just pouring your life out in a prison or you're serving in a bus community till one o'clock in the morning or whatever it was. You were just going, going, going and Jesus sees it all. And it's your vision and it keeps you going and it excites you when you see the breakthrough and you're sharing the glories and you weep over the trials. Now, have you got something like that? Well, if you haven't, find out what it is. Because the Lord has good and pleasing and perfect plans for your life the Lord has good works planned in advance for you to do you know Ephesians when you became a Christian you received two great gifts the first great gift was salvation in Ephesians 2 verse 8 and 9 it says it's by grace you've been saved not of yourself that no man can boast it's a free gift what a gift you know young people received it last night in this very building what a gift the greatest gift but you also received you received Ephesians 2 8 and 9 you also received Ephesians 2 verse 10 good works planned in advance the day you were saved if you like a great gift from God here it is all the good works and now you've got the Holy Spirit in your life you're cooperating with now you're free and forgiven you can start to unwrap all those gifts for the good of this world do you like the sound of that You've got them. Yours are different to mine. We'll journey together, but there's never been another you. And and I want to go to the grave empty. I mean, poured out all the good works that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit had such great fun planning in advance for me to do. Final thing. If we're going to keep going to the end, we're going to be welcomed in to heaven, and we're not going to get in as through fire it talks about. There are people who are going to get in, as they made some commitment to Jesus. But it's as through fire. There are deathbed conversions. What a precious thing. But those deathbed conversions will have that as through fire. I couldn't live my whole life for Jesus. Well, I don't want to. I'm so glad God allowed me to be saved as a young man. Maybe I'll get 70, 80 years like Lewis Palau at it. And maybe it'll grow and grow and continue the influence. And I've even got a feeling for me it may be profile goes down, influence goes up. I'm up for that. I don't like the sound of it sometimes when my photograph's smaller on the publicity than some other people, you know, when Danielle gets hundreds at her seminar and I get 25 at mine, you know, but but I can kind of, which is what happened last week, you know. (laughs) They put me in the main venue for my seminar at this launch conference and Danielle Strickland's standing room only all fighting out in a, in a venue this size. I'm like, hmm, Strickland, what did I book her for? Yeah. <laughs> but actually, genuinely, if I want to lead a movement, it doesn't matter who gets the glory. It doesn't matter that Jesus gets the glory, doesn't it? It matters we get a great harvest. So the fourth and the final thing, if we're going to keep going to the end, is sharing our stories. Says so in the Bible, faith comes through hearing, and hearing through the Word of God. My son's so daft, he's actually tattooed that verse on his arm. He expected me to be excited. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, share your stories. And for the Message Trust, I think one of the best decisions I made, Like, well, I wonder how long ago, 22 years ago, was to give a whole day every month to prayer and worship and sharing our stories. There was four people at our first one. Beth Redmond was there, who's speaking this afternoon, Matt Redmond's wife, and a couple of others. And, and we fasted, except Beth Redmond thought fasting was drinking chocolate milkshakes, I remember, but lots of them. But uh, <laughs> don't tell her I told you that. But... <laughs> but uh, We'd give a whole day, four of us, and Mark Pennells would strum on his acoustic guitar and we'd share our stories and we'd pray and we'd, we'd fast and we'd seek the Lord. And 22 years later, now 200 people will gather on Monday-ish and, and we'll have Lewis Palau stirring us up in an amazing worship band leading the worship and, you know, great videos and great, just cool, so many stories. And I've often thought if I didn't have those prayer days, I don't even know if I'd kept going. We've done every month when we can come back and remind ourselves. And part of my job is to remind the movement of what God said. But also, they remind me of all the wonderful things that are happening. You know, we hear the wonderful stories and it's worth it. Of course, it's worth it for the one. But when you start to realize there's dozens and hundreds and some months, even thousands coming to Christ. When you start to hear the transformation. Imagine what it's like for us just sat there listening to Ruth's story. Especially those that are really journeyed and invested in Ruth or Laura's story. And of course, it's only Jesus can do that, can't he? You know, no amount of interventions are going to do that when you're that broken. But to get to cooperate with Jesus and say, look, there's another story. There's another story. And I talk about the message being a a story-driven movement. And, And as you share your stories, faith comes You've got more. So, and sometimes it's, you know, Ian Henderson, who used to lead our work in Harper Hay and speaking yesterday, great mate of mine, has this precious ministry called Visible and Naked Truth. But Ian had this thing in his Eden team. Every time they get together, they had to share Aslan's on the move time. And Aslan's on the move is any little sign of the kingdom. Any little, tiny, little thing God's done. Any small sign that Aslan's on the move in Harper Hay, we want to hear it. And as you start to share your Aslan's on the move, you start to realise, wow, Aslan really is on the move. And and as the stories become bigger and more impactful and more exciting, suddenly faith comes and you think these stories are worth it. And even if there's criticism, I mean, I had some guys, right, they, uh, they called themselves a church. They were just the saddest family in the world. And they used to picket my meetings for, a, for about a year. And I would ask, them, they, I'd like preach at one church in the morning. They'd be all out there with signs, don't go in there. He's a heretic. He's an ecumenicalist and all this. And, like, shouting at people. Even big evangelistic things. And I'd, Don't go in there. This man preaches heresy. He works with the Catholics and all this like. And... And all this rubbish. <laughs> and, and they did a whole website, character assassination website, Andy Hawthorne. Good news is they also did one on Mike Pilavacci and Nicky Gumbel and then Billy Graham. When they did the one on Billy Graham, I thought, bring it on. <laughs> <laughs> but you're going to face those shadows, and they make you think, oh, I can't be bothered. You know, I, I'd rather just watch Match of the Day. <laughs> you know, rather than go out preaching. But, but actually, then you hear the stories. And you gather together, you need a forum with your mates on a mission to share your stories of anything God's doing. Because God is doing a lot on the earth. Because God wants all people everywhere to be saved, He's always reaching out to people. And once you get the Aslan's on the move mindset, God's doing stuff everywhere. There's signs of the kingdom everywhere. And then you get to pray though pour the oil of prayer on those things. And you start to see the full measure of it. And it's so exciting. So share your stories. Yesterday, we gathered a whole, uh, in between the afternoon and the evening, we gathered a whole bunch of our sort of ex-staff members. And that was great. It's fantastic. Just sharing stories. You know, sharing some war stories and sharing some breakthroughs. But lots of people who journeyed with us, you know, over the last and and gone on to do all kinds of precious things around the world. But lots of them came back. But I said to them, here's the message conference. It's an Ebenezer in a way. You know, like in 2 Samuel, Solomon said, I put an Ebenezer up, a dirty, great big stone, a stone of remembrance. And he said, because thus far, the Lord has been good to me. Has anybody got that testimony in this place? Thus far, the Lord has been good to me. And I said, it's good to have an Ebenezer of remembrance, but we must never forget that our touchstone scripture is forget the former things. So when I ought to have a little cheeky look back, think, hey, 25 years, thus far, the Lord's been good to me. You know, thousands of people saved, growth on all fronts, you know, millions of pounds of breakthrough all all that stuff that God's done all that kindness thus far the Lord's been good but forget the former things because see I'm doing a new thing says the Lord today the Lord's saying see I'm doing a new thing Carl said to me this morning it feels like the Lord's fired the starting pistol again (laughs) after 25 years and I'll be back here as an 82 year old boy I'll be Louis's age I'll have a lot less hair than him and I'll probably have a hearing aid. He's not even got a hearing aid, does he? When he ran on that stage yesterday, I thought, what's that all about? You know what it's about? It's about having the fire of God in you. It's about keeping going. It's about having a vision for your life and mates around you who keep you going. It's about being rooted in the word and loving prayer. And it's about something else that I've forgotten. (laughs) What was it? What was the other one? Sharing your stories, that's it, yeah. It's that as well. She's really important. And honestly, I'm telling you, if any of that sparked off, it would be such a blessing that you're able to be at this conference. If you're like, yes, I do want to discover what the call of God in my life is, because there is one. Yes, I do want to spend more time in prayer and study, and they will almost certainly come together. Yes, I do want this. Bigger vision, and may, maybe it, it, it will mean sharing in a bigger vision. Maybe it will mean joining in the fun of the message. Just yesterday, we've got people offering themselves to join Eden teams. How precious is that? And that's the start of their big step out of faith. And those that couple, if they move on that estate or whoever it is, suddenly they got stories to share. You know, some of them will be nightmare stories, but God stepped in, God spared them, God helped them. And there, we're going all the way. We're going the distance. And we're going all the distance, not choked by the cares and worries and riches of this life, but we're going the distance with a good and a noble heart and a heart that perseveres to the end. And then we look back and think, oh, Jesus, you allowed an ordinary person like me who totally didn't deserve it to produce a hundredfold harvest. I want to just pray. We've got a few moments. And as I said, I'd allow any questions from the floor or any comments and, but uh, I'd love to just pray Lord I pray I pray as a people, we're your people you chose us, you went out of your way, you did everything so we can be saved and you deposited your Holy Spirit in us and you gave us a good and a perfect and a pleasing plan for our life, you gave us good works planned in advance to do, I pray Lord we'll pour them out Not for a week or a month or a year, but pour them out for a life laid down to you. We want to get to heaven and hear that well done, good and faithful servant. We want to enter into the joy of the Lord with a massive harvest. Uh, we, We want to be spending the first few million years in heaven just bumping into people. And by some amazing set of circumstances, through our prayers and our acts of kindness and our unashamed gospel proclamation and our love for the poor, we've got a harvest for you, Jesus. Jesus, speak to us. Is there anything we need to reorder in our lives, just as a result of being at this message conference, give us courage, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Do we have any time, actually? Is that it? I think it's quarter past. One. Is that the time it's meant to finish? Surely I've not spoken for an hour. Oh, you must be bored stiff. Anyway, thank you very much for listening. You haven't got any questions. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to check out message.org.uk to find out how you can support or even get involved with one of our teams.